0: Alright ladies and gents Chris coming at you again with another Solo episode uh, As always Picking up where we left off um, Talking about God and religion Not religion really, talking about God Talking about the idea of God Trying to understand what that means The way I've, I've tried to make sense of that In my life and kind of all the Interesting directions where that where that's taken me And continues to take me um, Some of that has to do with the you know, the mystic experience that Kyle and I talked about uh, several times um, uh, just to recap you know those types of experiences can be achieved through uh, through meditation and prayer um, and it's it's not easy that way it takes you know it takes a lot of discipline and, and uh, practice um, uh, but all sorts of other things too like uh, sensory deprivation starvation um You know, there's all sorts of things, uh, yoga, for instance, Um, all sorts of things that people do, including uh, psychoactive substances that uh, bring about those sorts of religious experiences. Um, And that's been really, really challenging for me is trying to make sense of that uh, experience because it is something that feels like it has meaning to it. And it feels like the meaning changes, um, you know, the, the more experiences you have it really does feel like the experiences you have uh, that you had between one mystic experience and another uh changes how you know how that experience comes across and how you interpret it and the meaning that you can take from it but it does seem meaningful um and this this podcast is is going to be difficult for me because it's well um what i want to do is talk about some of the images that i've uh, that I've seen or experienced uh, that have to do with these mystic experiences, and they also have to do with me trying to make sense of all of that stuff. And a lot of it has to do with making sense or understanding um, the idea of God. And I've talked to you guys about that before. You know, I don't see that idea in the way that most people do. Um, I don't. I don't think about God as. Um, you know, as a character from the Bible, let's say, um, I think about God more abstractly than that. Um, I think about it as like the thing that's common uh, across all religious and mythological traditions, like the thing that human beings are talking about. Um, you know, for thousands of years of history, where they talk about things like the spirit or the soul or gods or or you know anything supernatural. Uh, I believe what they're getting at uh when they when they tell those stories and talk about god uh is the thing that's responsible for existence and so that's it and i've said that before i don't really want to take the idea any further than that i don't think there's any reason to dress up the idea of god in any particular uh, religion or any particular culture or any particular time for that matter uh i think that the phenomena that uh you know that created um Existence, whatever that was, uh, that is what I'm going to call God. Um, and the reason the reason I think this podcast will be more difficult for me than any others, if I'm being honest, is because I'm a little bit I'm a, I'm a little bit embarrassed to share some of the things that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, and the reason is that they're, they're personal. They're like the most personal thing that I can possibly imagine to share with you. And what they are are the things that I wrote down. Uh, after having a mystic experience, or uh, the things that I wrote down um, trying to understand those experiences. And one of the things that I asked Kyle about the other day, and we brought up, like, you know, cursorily, we brought up a few times, is the idea of thinking in images, and that some people will... When they think of a concept or, or a memory, uh, they'll think in images. And other people don't. They think more in ideas, more in words. Um, so there is there does seem to be a difference in how people how people think about things and sort of what what it is in their heads that they're referencing when, when they have an idea or a thought or a memory. Um, the other thing that's related to that is that these images that appear, um, you know, we, we see them in in dreams and in dream interpretation. So people like Jung and Freud and those psychoanalysts will talk about that and that the images in these dreams are meaningful, you know, for the individuals that are having them. But they'll also talk about, and this is going to be more young than Freud, but they'll also talk about images that we see in myths um, and that they are rooted in these um you know, these, these archetypes that, uh, that are very similar to the things that people see in their own dream images, uh, and, and, and things people see in revelations, like the kind of crazy stuff that, you know, that gets talked about from like the book of Ezekiel, let's say, um, weird images of like, you know, creatures with multiple faces, the faces of animals and, and humans, the wheels within wheels, you know, these are the kind of images that get talked about from revelations, like, you know, from the Bible, let's say. But they're not at all dissimilar from what people talk about experiencing in uh psychedelic experiences or mystic experiences. Um, so what I wanna do is talk about some of the images that I'm that I've been sort of toying with. And I don't know what I can make of them. I, I think I wanna do I wanna do what Jordan Peterson does, what he recommended, and that is that when he has something to say, that he he wants to be able to talk about um a problem that he's struggling with so he can talk through what he thinks about it. Um, but also maybe, um, just talking about it out loud will kind of help him think about it out loud and maybe come up with other other thoughts that, that he hadn't come up with before. So what I want to do really is try to solve the problem a little bit more. And by doing that, I want to kind of go through the problem as I've developed it through these different types of mystic experiences. Um, and it's not easy to do it's hard it's like um you know an image an image i mean it's one thing to talk about what you see there um but it's a quite another thing to try to make sense of it you know what do the images mean what are the relationships of the different things in the image uh, to one another are there is there meaning there if the image changes is there meaning to that uh, what what's associated with those pictures in your mind what what does it make you think of you know these it's a it's a really difficult process to try to try to piece together the meaning that might be there um so so that makes me think of something that that maybe will be a little bit of a theme and i brought this up I think once before, but there's a passage um, there's a passage in the Old Testament that's talking about uh, Jacob, um, the character Jacob. So, again, I don't know the Bible inside and out, uh, but I'll tell you what I recall about Jacob. Jacob is the gentleman whose story has to do with uh, Jacob's ladder. You guys maybe remember that. So this was uh, Jacob in the desert, the wilderness, and he he set up a tabernacle, which was just basically a pile of stones that he set up to pray uh, to to God. And uh, he anointed the stones, and he actually fell asleep using the stones as a pillow. And in his sleep, he saw the sky open up and there was a ladder coming down and the, and the angels were going from heaven to earth and from earth to the heaven up, up and down this ladder. So that's, that's Jacob. That's the guy I'm talking about. Um, the story that I have in mind though, it, it, it's one where Jacob encounters somebody, um, and he's wrestling with this somebody. Um, so just imagine, you know, he, he Jacob's met a stranger in the, in, you know, in a strange land and he ends up fighting with them. And and I believe the word that's used is wrestle, but you know, it's, I'm sure a translation of a translation. So he's fighting with this, with this character. Um, and he won't give up and he's struggling and struggling and won't give up. And eventually, uh, the person he's struggling with just reaches down and touches his hip and sort of dislocates it just by touching it. And then the fight is over. And at that point, the person who dislocated Jacob's hip reveals himself to be supernatural and he says to Jacob that he struggled with God, that when he was wrestling, what he was doing was wrestling with God, and because he didn't give up, he was given uh, he was given an honor, and the honor was to change his name uh, from Jacob to Israel, and of course we know that Israel is the name of the Jewish people, so it's from it's from Jacob where uh, you know the Jewish people kind of um, kind of originate from. So that this is the story in the Bible. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because the idea of Jacob wrestling with God it, it sort of feels like that's what I'm doing here you know I'm going through these images that came to me from from my unconscious let's say they came to me from some place i didn't i didn't I didn't think them up they just came to me these things just like a dream um, you know when, when I read them to you you know it's gonna be kind of like um, k- kind of like poetry in some cases. That, that's what I mean when I say it's really personal. It's basically me speaking my thoughts from my heart in the way that they occurred to me in the throes of that experience, or or, or shortly afterwards that mystic experience, and trying to trying to relay the meaning there. And it's not easy to do. So there are places where it comes across um, jumbled, and I'll do my best to explain. Um. But again, remember, these are things I'm saying that I really don't entirely understand, and and I think that's kind of what I'm getting at with these interpreting of these images, you know, images that come to you in your dreams or come to you from from a mystic experience or whatever it is, that these images come from somewhere, you know, some some part of you that you're not that you're not in control of, that you're not aware of, and I would call that the unconscious. I, I might call that God. So, you're getting these images that have meaning, that are telling you something that you don't quite understand. And all you have are these pictures. And all you can do is struggle with these pictures. You can pick them apart. You can beat them and beat them and beat them until they reveal their secrets to you. And just like Jacob, we're not going to be rewarded unless we don't give up. We have to keep. We have to keep trying. So hey, that's what I'm doing today. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to to beat these things until I can extract the meaning from them. Um, I'm not I'm not really sure where to begin, but I pulled a quote uh, from my notes. And I've been keeping these notes. I have hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes uh, that I've kept over the years. And it's any, it's, it's a lot of times that those ideas, those epiphanies, those like great ideas that occur to you or, or something that, uh, you know, piece something together for the first time. And just for a second, you're like, Eureka, and if I don't, if I don't write that down, I'm going to forget it. And I may never think of that thing again. So I've got to write that down. So I started doing that and I've, and I've got these notes, um, that I can rely on. And a couple years ago, I wrote this note and it says this, it says the ecstatic experience that you're chasing is revealed differently in each experiencing. It is not the sensory particulars of the experience that's important, but the message and the meaning it delivers. And the message seems to be something like this. I am the flux of infinite consciousness that is simultaneously myself and all other things. Okay, so that goes back several years. But it gives you some idea of the problem that I was struggling with. It's basically always been this, trying to understand what God is uh, and trying to understand what my relationship is to God. So if God actually exists, then I want to know what does that mean and what does that mean to me, okay? So the first couple I have on the list are not particularly um, visual, and so, I, you know, when I was talking to Kyle before about mandalas and Carl Jung and some of the, um, the art uh, from Buddhism and Hinduism that shows these mandalas and how they compared to these images that Carl Jung's uh, patient was, was drawing uh, during her therapy over like a 20-year period. And it's really interesting to see the comparisons between these religious images that have been drawn for for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, let's say. Um, to this woman in basically modern day you know and in the, in the 1950s or something that is uh, that is drawing these images from her from her um, unconscious you know their dream images or their spontaneous fantasy images and she's drawing them bringing them into Carl Jung and he's looking at them and saying this looks an awful lot like these mandalas that we've seen for thousands of years in the east. And that we see, you know, in the West, in uh, in alchemy and, and alchemical symbolism and imagery. So it's something weird about this. Something something weird going on. Um. So without you know, without further ado, uh, when I first began struggling with this idea, it, it, things weren't visual like that. They weren't visual like the mandala or like the images that I was talking about, Carl Jung's patient drawing. But they do become more and more like that uh, as I as I. Get deeper in, and I think maybe, um, maybe you get better at it, you know, as you as you try, and maybe that's you know that seems likely. Uh, the other thing is that you know maybe some people, like I was asking at the beginning, some people maybe are just more visual and they think more visually. Or they think they, you know, they they rely on images to understand things, and it's easier for them, let's say, because that's how they're that's how they're structured. But if that's the case, it doesn't seem like I'm structured that way. So. Uh, for me, it's much more conceptual, much more abstract, um, less visual. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best here. All right. So first quote from some some years back, and I was struggling to understand the experience. I was struggling to understand the mystic experience. I was struggling to understand if in the mystic experience you feel like everything is one, that there is there is nothing. There's only one thing, the thing that you are. And if there's only one thing, that that thing is God. Something, you know, in summary, something like that. Um, and this is what I wrote. I said, God is the awareness that exists even in nothingness. God in the world and God as the world. God experiencing itself. Okay, so that's it. So in that in that little tidbit, um what i what i have here is the idea that there's awareness or consciousness even in the absence of anything physical even even in the absence of any you know anything in the world so even if there wasn't a world uh, there's still there's still consciousness so there's some some intuition like that and the next part that says god in the world and god as the world um you know what what that's what that image for me comes to mind is like i'm picturing like a little snow globe and there's a person sitting in that you know in that snow globe and i'm trying to understand the globe and the person as one thing so this is sort of the image that i'm seeing god in the world but also god as the world simultaneously and then i added god experiencing itself because there is something about consciousness that seems to be important with that and again, in the mystic experience, you understand existence, reality, to be, to be one, to be one thing. There is nothing else. So, so if God is experiencing anything, he's experiencing himself or itself, let's say. All right, so fast forward a little bit. Here's another one. And this is similar, but it's, it seems to be me struggling to understand a God as personal, you know, because my consciousness is personal. You know, I I think of myself as a unique individual. Um, God, though, doesn't seem that way. He seems like uh, you know, if if God exists, that that idea seems to be some universal concept. It's not something that is is personal or individual. It's it's universal. So I'm I'm struggling with that. And here's what I wrote: I am an experience, a personal experience, the experience of being me, an experience of being being so that's sort of the flow i am an experience an experience of being me specifically i am i am the experience of being me specifically it's not just any old experience it's a very specific experience it's the experience that only i can be Um, and then i say an experience of being so i'm just one of many that are just like that maybe infinitely and then i'm being so I'm an example of something that is that is this idea of being that I'm struggling with. So material reality, the cosmos, this is something that I that I call being. Um, and then and then God is something that I contrast to that. I call I call it non-being, something that's not like that's not like the world. So it goes on it goes on to say this. I am being experiencing itself in a way that only I can. Experiencing itself in a way that is only possible by my personal existence. A a personal self fulfills the nature of God. It makes itself into something new forever. And this is what non-being is. It's, It's becoming. It's infinite potentiality. And then I end by saying, consciousness experiences itself. And that experience is happening in infinite selves. So, so earlier, you know, I talked about um, I'm I'm as you know, understanding myself as an experience, um, and that that experience is happening in all the other people that exist, and all the other creatures that that are that are living, and maybe even in all the things that aren't living, maybe even in all the atoms and and you know, uh, elementary particles that make up the world, that all of these things are having um, that their existence is an experience. So it's trying to understand. Um, consciousness and experience kind of is one thing. So these two examples are me struggling and struggling to try to understand God and man and how that makes sense. Um, And really, that's all in the context of the mystic experience where you you feel one with the universe and you have that law that whatever you figure out, whatever truth you can figure out from that experience, it has to accord with the one law, the truth that comes from that mystic experience that says everything is one. All right, so things start to get a little bit more visual from here. Uh, There's a couple instances where I was playing around with the idea of a mirror or a reflection and of struggling with understanding what that reflection means. So, so here's the first one. Um, and this is really the most indicative of the mystic experience. So I'll, I'll, I'll put some emphasis on this one. The consciousness that I am is in every atom that makes up the universe. Consciousness is God looking out at God. God looking at himself the universe is the reflection of God existence is the proof of God it is God okay so that's one that's one item and so you can see here how I'm playing around with the idea that that the material world you know, being or the cosmos let's say that it is somehow a reflection of God like God looking in the mirror and that that and that that experiencing being is proof of God. It's like, if you exist, you automatically know the truth of the question that we're all struggling to answer at some point in our lives. You know, is, is, is God real? Does God exist? What I'm, what I'm saying in this experience is, uh, or in this, in this passage rather, is that the, to experience anything is to know that God exists. So there's something about existence, something about our consciousness that just because it is, and I'm sitting here experiencing it right now, and you listening to these words are experiencing it right now, that that is proof that God exists. Um, and then I, I even go further to say that that, that that experience, that that is somehow God. It is synonymous. So I'm trying to understand this, and I'm using this idea of a reflection or a mirror to try to understand it. Like, you know, I as being, I'm, I'm looking in a mirror, and I'm not, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of staring at God. I am and I'm not, and I can't quite understand what that means. So this is where I'm at, in, you know, at this point. And here's another version of, of something similar. Uh, and in this passage, I talk about, um, rather than talking about God like I did in the other one, I, I use the same, the same uh, meaning, but I use the word one, O N E, and I do that because again, the the mystic experience tells you that everything is one. So, I'm trying to keep that in my mind. Rather than saying God here, I'm saying one. And here's what I say One cannot change, other is created by change. Okay, so before I go on, I have to explain other. I was making a a difference in my mind, a distinction between. One, that's God, and and other, which is being, which is everything else. Anything that's not God is other than God. So that's what I'm going to call other here. So I apologize for the difference in language, but I just want to keep it clear in your head. One cannot change. Other is created by change. And then I say, what does this mean? Other isn't created by change if one cannot change. For one is all there is. What, is, uh, what if one is change? Without change, there is only one. One is infinite change, infinity itself. And then I end by saying, we are the mirror of God becoming. All right, so that's a hodgepodge a jumble and I'm sorry about that. But it, it it illustrates to you how much I'm struggling to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Like and again this was years and years ago, so I've got some time to think about this and I have thoughts about what it means, but at the time I really didn't have thoughts about what it what it meant. I had some, but I wasn't sure if I could put any stock in it. You know, what am I basing it on? And it took me some reading Carl Jung to really feel more comfortable with that. You know, to to think about things like if these words are coming out of my head and even if i don't understand them uh it seems to me that um that i can um you know all of the context that i need to understand those symbols those images i already know you know it's like if i talk about uh you know an idea an object a word if i talk about that in the the kind of mystic experience or or in a dream or something that that there are associations like maybe i um, you know, maybe I, uh, uh, have a dream about, you know, fire or a certain house or a flood or, you know, whatever it might be, some theme in my dream that there are things already in my mind connected to those ideas. And if I explore the ideas and words that are associated with the images in the dream, that that will help me to understand what I mean by it. So that's been tremendously helpful for me. And when I, when I go back to this idea of this mirror, um, I, I kind of know what that is foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing um, the idea of representation. So I'm going to talk about that more later on. It's like once upon a time, I thought of that idea of representation as reflection. And it changed from this idea of reflection to representation. What the hell does that mean? So I'll talk more about that, or I'll try to talk more about that when we get there without putting the cart before the horse. But anyway, just to go back to this last passage, I'm trying to understand that one is God, and God is all there is. God is eternal and doesn't change. He's always God. Now, you and me and all the things in the cosmos are always changing. We're never the same. We're constantly changing. We're getting older. We're getting sick. We're dying. Things are decomposing. You know, the the universe continues to expand. Um, you know, uh, atoms are constantly changing and morphing. Everything in our world is constantly changing. So how can it be that God is this changeless reality, this eternal, timeless, changeless thing? But everything in everything that comes from God is somehow changing. Like how does that make sense? How do you mesh those together? And I say to myself, what does this mean? I'm asking, genuinely. I'm, I'm wrestling with God here. I'm, I'm asking the question. Which is funny, because there's another passage in the Bible that says something like, ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall be opened. And I think that's what, you, that's what it means, is that you, know, you, you do have to struggle with God to get anything valuable. And that might be struggling with yourself, like I'm doing now. Struggling with my, uh, with my understanding. Um, thinking about these images and meaning, and struggling and struggling and struggling, and waiting for that understanding to come to me. And if I don't do the work, if I don't struggle, that I'm never going to get that meaning. I'm never going to get the thing that's valuable. Um, and you might think about that in another context, like um, like I used to be. Uh, I used to be 300 pounds, and uh, most of my life, most of my adult life, big fat guy. And decided I had to do something about it eventually, and I started struggling against God. I started struggling against the part of me that was saying, you know, you, know you want that cupcake, buddy? Uh, or, you know, you know you're sore and you, and you don't really want to run today. And I just pointed my finger at myself and said, fuck you, I'm doing it. So I wrestled with God. So I'll just put it that way as an analogy And and I lost the weight I lost all of the weight And it was hard and it took a long time But because I didn't give up And I struggled and struggled I got there So that's what I'm trying to do here I'm going to keep struggling guys So I, end, I ended that with saying um, We are the mirror of God becoming And the idea of uh, becoming is a sort of a it's a normal word, but it's also a philosophical word. And it, there's a, the difference between being and becoming. is sort of a philosophical argument. Um, you know, being is something you're doing only, only right now. And once the instant is gone, you're not, you're not being that. You've been that, right? So it's in the past. Being is like the ever present moment. Becoming is something that is, um, you know, it, it's, it's the process of change. So you know you become something. It, t- it takes it takes some effort to get there. It takes some time to get there. Um, you know you're struggling against God to become something else. So this is all kind of connected. So the idea of um, everything changing and God being constant—that the idea that those things don't mesh together—I try to I try to merge them together by saying, what if one is change? So I'm saying, what if God? is change. And what and what I mean here is something like this. If 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 I'm understanding God as something that's just constantly transforming and then I say something like God is the unchangeable reality, the timeless eternal reality, there's really nothing inconsistent about saying that the timeless eternal reality is something that's always changing. And what's consistent about it? across time is that it's always changing. So the, the the timeless changeless thing is that thing that's always changing. So what what's changeless about it is that it's always transforming. It's the thing that always transforms. So if you look at it that way, suddenly it it completely meshes with the idea of the cosmos as this ever changing process. So this is again this is where I am talking about mirrors here. All right, so going forward it changes. It, it it moves away from mirrors and it starts to get into things like like vibration, sound, and then and then like I'm gonna I'm gonna say dancing, but it's like responding to the sound. It's like there's a sound and you're responding to it. And that again, I, I sort of think of as as dancing, and I use that word. Um, so here's one example of that. I say I'm experiencing an audible buzz. It feels like wind through the trees, but nonstop, like it's always there, but we learn to ignore it. It's like constant static everywhere in the background, like cosmic microwave background radiation. The buzz is a harmony, a frequency, seems important and feels so peaceful. Like the universe is vibrating on this frequency. Every atom in my body is responding to the vibration. Every atom is dancing to the music of the vibration. And the dance is existence. Reality is pouring from the sound, and the sound is eternal. What causes the buzz? And that's it. So that's that passage. And so you kind of see what I mean it does come across as a, as a kind of like poetry and, and like like jordan peterson always says you know it's the creative people you know the people doing creative things that are the, on the vanguard of um you know of of, of being they they they're the people trying to bring new understanding and new things into existence and they're just sort of surfing right on the edge between the known and the unknown and so much of that is is unknown it's hard to talk about. It's hard to hard to conceptualize and make sense of. And one of the ways that people do that is through artistic expression, like making a painting or drawing, um, and, and poetry also. And so, I'm not trying to do poetry, guys. I'm not trying to. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not going to apologize for it. It is what it is. But this is what I meant about hesitating to bring all this to you, is because I'm just going to sit here and read what you know sounds like you know teenage poetry or something. But in this, in this passage, you know, I'm not talking about a mirror or, or a reflection anymore, but instead I'm talking about experiencing a, a, a vibration, it's something that I initially I felt like I was hearing it. Uh, whether that was the case or not, you know, being in this mystic experience is hard for me to, to say in hindsight, but I definitely seemed to be hearing something. And then it was like the sound began to... Well, it's like I began to feel the sound. And you guys know that. I mean, you ever been into a, a car uh, with bass for days and somebody puts on, that, puts on that hip-hop song and cranks the bass up and cranks the volume up? You know, You know what I mean. You can feel the vibration. And this is how it felt. It was like I heard it. And then it just it just suddenly started to permeate my body, and then I could feel the vibration in my fingertips. I I had like sweaty, clammy palms at the time. I could feel it almost seemed like the moisture, like the water molecules were vibrating on my hands, and I could feel it. It was very strange. And I made the connection between this buzz to the to the image of static, and I said it's like constant static. So you can imagine that buzz, and you might you might imagine like a, turning on an old TV an analog TV with no, you know, with no um, signal. and you're just sitting there, you're looking at the snow, the black and white shhh, and you can hear that buzz. You can hear that constant staticky sound. So it's something like this that I' that I'm imagining. And I say, I say to myself that it's in the background, like it's always there. And, it, and then I make this remark that it, it, you know it reminds me of the cosmic microwave background radiation. So again, this is one of those things where in my mind I think, you know, I'm hearing the static, I'm getting this idea in in my head, and one of the associations that I have to this sound and this feeling is this image of static. So we're getting a little bit more visual now, we can see the static, and I remember seeing uh, a map, and you may have seen this before, but there's like a map of the radiation in the observable universe. So like physicists, if you watch like a physics documentary or a space documentary, you know, you're likely to see, encounter this image. And it's like an egg-shaped image, and it shows uh, all of the light from the radiation that we've been able to uh, record and all across the cosmos, everywhere that we can see, and what I mean is, we we can't see any further than light has time to travel. So there's a space beyond what we can see in space. Um, maybe it's infinite, and we can only see what we what we can see. And so this is a map of what we can see, and it corresponds to what people think the Big Bang left behind. So the idea is, you know, the world was created from uh, an infinitely dense kind of point. And it expanded rapidly and in a burst of energy, and all of the energy and matter got created during that explosion, and all the heat and energy that evaporated as the as the uh, cosmos expands left a mark, and that mark is this background radiation, this cosmic microwave background radiation and This is what comes to my mind when I get this idea of static, so I, I mean I can't think of anything it 's like I got this image of static, and I could instead have a have a relation in my mind of watching you know TV when I was a kid and turning the channel on, on the analog TV and getting static. I might have just said, that's what popped in my head. But that's not what popped in my head. What popped in my head was the cosmic microwave background radiation, specifically. So here I'm talking about, it could be a mundane thing, static, but it's not. In this case, I associated it with the with the event that that caused the universe to be born, the Big Bang. So my that's where my mind goes, and I think that's important. I also say that it's 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 important. It seems important, and that it's and that it's peaceful. And so I guess what I mean here is that when you had when I felt that buzz, when I felt that vibration, and it kind of took it kind of swept over me, that. Um, that it had a feeling it had i had an intuition that it was important that it was meaningful that the buzz was meaningful i didn't know what the meaning was but it seemed obvious to me that it was not just meaningful but maybe maybe the most meaningful thing imaginable and i couldn't understand what it was so imagine my frustration like i'm i'm hearing and experiencing this thing that i know is super meaningful and i'm no closer to knowing what it is even though i'm hearing it and feeling it um and then again, I said, as I said, every atom is dancing to the music of the vibration, and the dance is existence. So I think this is maybe what's the most important from this this image here is that I'm picturing this vibration is like all of the atoms that make up my body and the clamminess in my hands and all, and you know everything that it's vibrating, and I'm feeling this vibration and the the molecules and the uh, atoms and and the cells in my body and all of this stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's dancing, it's, it's animated by the buzz. So it's like, it's, it's being brought to life by this buzz that I'm feeling. And what, what comes to my mind right now is like a, you know, I hate to be, uh, morbid, but I'm just a picturing like a cadaver, like a dead body laying on a table and uh, you know the uh, they're doing what they, whatever they do to dead bodies, but imagine like hooking up electrodes to that to that body and sending electrical impulses into the brain, let's say, or the or the spinal cord, and you might you might see the arms move, you might see the lips move, you might be able to make the body make a noise, you know, you, you might be able to animate that body with this electricity a little bit, uh, but but it's not alive, right? So that that's kind of what I mean is like this buzzing is animating the cells and the atoms it's like whatever it is that causes them to be alive whatever that means in this context i'm not sure that it's coming from the buzz whatever this buzz this frequency is is animating everything it's bringing it to life and so i have this idea of dancing and what sticks out in my mind about dancing is that you know in general dancing is something that takes a partner It's something you do with somebody else so to dance is not something generally we do alone. And so the idea that I use the word dancing here in this context makes me feel like there's more than one thing to be considered here. Um, and, and, I, and I can't help but imagine that that is uh, the type of dynamic between God and man or between being and non-being that I keep talking about, that this relationship between them is some sort of a dance and that dance is what animates. It's what, it's what makes things exist. what's what makes them alive. So again, um, very, very hard to understand. You can see I'm struggling to understand it. That's kind of what I want to, to get through to everybody. Uh, it's, it's not easy. It's something I'm struggling with. So I go from um, mirrors and reflection to this idea of dancing. And it continues uh, like this. Um, I say everything, myself included, is dancing with energy, with fractal shapes eternally, animated by magic and the magic itself. Why fractal geometry? To illustrate infinity in action, infinity being and forever changing, and yet one nonetheless. Okay, so I'll stop there for a second. So here, here I've introduced the idea of fractal shapes, and that's because in this particular instance, in this particular mystic experience, this is part of it. It's this idea of uh, patterns that repeat infinitely, and they repeat at different levels of scale, so it's like, it's not just a repeating pattern. It's a pattern within a pattern within a pattern within a pattern. It's not like, you know, it's not like stacking the same pattern side by side. It's like layered, layering them over top and within one another um, forever. Something like that. Like this is the idea of these fractals. And Kyle and I talked about this uh, when we when we did our psychedelics episode or our mystic experience episode, where we talked about how often these fractals come up in, um, in religious uh, symbols and imagery and in, um, uh, in, in these sort of mystic experiences. Um, and that's what, and that's what, that's what that fractal represents. It, you know, I've given examples before, but you know, if you ever look at the branches on a tree in the winter when there's no leaves on them, and you just see larger branches um, turning into smaller branches forever, and if you look at them kind of overlapping each other, if you kind of lay down on the ground underneath the tree and you look straight up, then what you see are these. Veins that are just sort of layered branches, you know, underneath one another, over top of one another, smaller branches shooting off here and there. So you end up with a kind of a web. That's kind of what you see. It's like, it wouldn't matter if you were further away or closer closer to it that you would be able to see the same patterns at different levels of scale. Um, and, and you can see the same thing in a, like a Jackson Pollock painting with all those dots and drips and if you zoom in on them they're just layer after layer of dots and drips and you could take a square inch of that picture and blow it up to the size of the actual picture and you couldn't tell the difference like this is what i'm talking about when i say that these images are fractal Um, but this is where it gets interesting so i talk about uh, dancing again with energy and uh and then i introduce the fractals so this is part of it i also use the word magic i say animated by magic now, in the last, the last section, I was talking about feeling like that vibration was animating everything. Um, here, I'm, I'm calling that vibration magic. And I think that the reason is that that's how it felt to me. That's how it came across to me in the mystic experience. It came across to me as a supernatural force um, that I didn't understand at all. You know, and maybe, maybe I can't even call it supernatural, Maybe that's unfair. It's just something powerful and effective that I didn't understand at all, um, not even a little. And that to me was like magic. So that's that's how it came across. Um, then I ask why, you know, why am I, why the fractal geometry? What's the meaning there? And I answered my own question. I said to illustrate infinity and in action. And I want to go back to something I said earlier. And again, it's a biblical quote but it says ask and it shall be given knock and it shall be opened so this is something that that you know we hear in the Bible and, and that's what I did here I'm basically in the throes of this mystic experience I'm face to face with the unconscious let's say and I ask why the fractal geometry and the answer comes to me instantly it comes to me from me I'm, I'm answering my own question and I say because to, you know, to illustrate infinity and action. That what, what God is, to understand God as this infinite, eternal thing, um, it's not a static thing. It's, it's something that's in action or in motion. And I go on to say um, infinity being and forever changing, becoming. So this is this idea that, that God is some sort of an infinite thing, but it's maybe something more like an, an infinite process than an infinite thing. All right, so here's where it gets, starts to get more visual, and I'll, I'll do my best here. Uh, so this is the same experience. I say, my skin seemed alive, moving intricately, and with more colors than should be there. So beautiful. Beautiful, powerful beyond compare. The hair on my arm danced to the music of eternity. And when I flexed my arm, the music of eternity sped up. It flowed from me and the hair danced more wildly and the veins lit with color and danced along. And I say, I am all of it, the magic in the world, the world itself, the magic that makes the world flows through me, coming from me. I am the consciousness that gets to be aware only for a moment that all of being comes from consciousness the consciousness that I am privileged to be. I get to be the thing that knows I am. And that's it. That's where it stops. So, again, this is, this is much harder for me to describe. But when I say that my skin seemed alive, that it's moving and it's more colorful than it seems like it should be, and then I say that the hair is sort of the hair on my arm seemed to be dancing and moving. Um, It did seem to be dancing to some sort of music. And and, and when I flexed my arm, this dancing of my hair and the colors in my skin all seemed to enhance. They seemed to get more intense when I flexed it, like the intensity of my flexing changed the intensity of this experience. And then I say, I am all of it, the magic in the world, the world itself. So what I was realizing was that this crazy experience that I was having having that was showing me kind of how magical existence is, even in my own body, that I was was in control of it somehow. Like I'm, I'm looking down at my arm, I see this magic happening, and I flex my arm and I see the magic changing. And so I'm making this effort and controlling the magic. And that was the message of this experience. It was... There's still more about dancing and energy, but it, it also seems like I'm in control of this of this experience more than I realized. Um, so it's strange, but I think that's what uh, that's what I'm getting at here, or what I was trying to get at. All right, so the uh, the idea of fractals this kind of just continues. It, you know, um, the next one here is a little bit different, um, fundamentally different. It has to do b- mostly because of because it wasn't a visual sensation, but it was, a, it was an auditory one. It was something that had to do with sound. So I'll just read it to you and we'll talk about it. I say, Listening to a conversation is a fractal, echoing, magical episode. The actors seemingly giving birth from non-being into being each time they open their mouths and exude into being an ethereal something that emerged into being from their consciousness it was the embodied experience of consciousness speaking to itself not unlike your inner voice and spilling over alive with emotion and that's it that's that's the passage for there so so again we see the idea of magic i use the word magic i'm talking about fractals but in this case it's not visual and this is weird because i talked about fractals before and I was explaining how it's very much visual. It's patterns within patterns. But I think that's short sighted and this experience tells me that. Because here here I was I was literally hearing a conversation and the converse the two voices were like were echoing um it's hard to describe, but it's like uh, it's like almost like every syllable that was said was echoing infinitely. So saying a, a couple of words wouldn't have been wouldn't have been all that overwhelming but saying a sentence and then having somebody respond to that sentence by the time you have those two sentences out there the echoing back and forth with all the syllables was like deafening and you couldn't understand any of it but it was but it was beautiful to me so this is what i was experiencing this this noise but it was melodic it was back and forth it was it did it was intentional and i could in the experience understand it more or less Um, but the way I understood this, again, I'm, I'm observing the fractals in the sound. And so again, I'm just going to relate the idea that there were patterns within patterns in the sound. So it doesn't have to be visual. And the other thing here is that, um, I talk about these people speaking and I say that they gave birth from non-being, but when they opened their mouths, and so this is interesting, but the idea here is, uh, let me go back to the cadaver on the table for a second, uh, suppose I could send electric impulses down into his uh, diaphragm, vocal cords or whatever, and I could get this dead body to make some sounds. Um, so it's possible to do that and you would you would say that that person is dead. You wouldn't say they're alive because they can talk. They're, they're you know because they can make sounds. So the idea here is that a, a body, like your biology is capable of making sounds. But to make sounds that are deliberate, and that have explicit meaning is very different the difference between a dog barking and me saying what i'm saying right now it's vastly different you know we're both making noises with our with our vocal cords we're both using our biology to make sounds but what i'm doing is something very different and what i how i described it here is that the people who were speaking were opening their mouths and exuding into being an ethereal something that emerges from their consciousness. So so the idea here is that it's not just a sound that uh, electricity, you know, that some natural process is causing to kind of burp out of my mouth. Instead, it's it's ideas, it's uh, concepts, it's images, it's basically meaning that's coming out of my mouth. Um, and complex meaning. And that that comes from a place that's m- more complicated than just an electrical shock or a natural process. It's coming from some vastly complicated process in my brain, but also in my psyche. Um, it's very, very difficult to understand, and I can't do a great job of explaining it other than to say that when I say that speaking is bringing something from non-being into being what i mean is that the that the thing i identify with in my psyche i i honestly believe that for me and for you is is god and that i don't really believe god exists on a plane that's outside of this material world necessarily i do believe that this material world is only a part of god um, but what, what, what I am saying is that we are the part of God that gets to be in the world. And when we open up our mouths and speak, that it's God speaking through us, that it's, it's the unconscious speaking through us. And if you don't, if you don't believe that, if you, if you kind of recoil at that idea, um, think, about, think about your dreams again. You think about those thoughts and images that you don't understand, like the things I'm talking about right now. That, that exist. They pop in your head. They come to you from somewhere. You don't know where. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the unconscious. I'm talking about uh, that dark place that we don't have access to that constitutes the rest of reality. You know, Our being is part of it. The rest of it is God. And so anyway, that's kind of what I have in mind here, is that when I open up my mouth and words come out, there's something more happening than nature making of electrical burp from my mouth, but rather something uh, meaningful that's coming from a source of meaning and uh, that that doesn't that it's not clear that that's me that the source of meaning is me especially when the thoughts that are coming out of my mouth I don't understand how can I possibly say something that I don't understand this is what I'm getting at all right next so the next couple are going to start to introduce um, kind of a shadowy figure and this is something I don't really I don't really know where it originated, but um, it does appear in the, site, in the um, mystic experience. And I'll give you the first taste of it here. Here it goes. I say, uh, there is smoke or substance to the air around me. The light is like smoke in the air, both far away and touching my face. I close my eyes and find myself in a pink, white, and red space seemingly mirrored fractal on all sides, up, down, left, and right. I think the image I'm seeing is a faceless baby inside a womb. Suddenly I see a geometric grid that shifts into ever more condensed kaleidoscopic shapes until it becomes a pattern uh, that shifts color randomly. I look at the small part in the center, and I find myself sucked into the fractal pattern. It spirals deeper and deeper. It doesn't seem to have any end. The deeper I go, the more I feel. As I stop resisting and embrace it, I feel overwhelmed and in awe of the absurdity of what I'm experiencing. I cannot understand what it is or what it means. I keep smiling and laughing and asking, "'What?' I go deeper into the fractal. I feel as though the place I'm in is conscious or that there's another consciousness present. I ask the pattern, what are you? And I wait for the changing pattern to answer somehow. Instead, I see the vibrant colors fade to white as I come out of the experience. So so this is it. Okay, so here, the, the experience starts with the, an image of like this ethereal smoke or mist. It reminds me of something Kyle said the other day where he was talking about the word noumena. Um, it, it somehow means breath, but it, but it also means soul. It's like pe- in the old days, people thought about, you know, when you die, you stop breathing. So there was something important about breath that was related to life. And so the idea of breath and spirit were always connected together. Um, and so that that's what I'm talking about, like the smoke or the substances in the air that I can see it. So it's like, imagine something that's probably around you all the time, but it's invisible. And suddenly you can see, see what you couldn't see before. And the, to me, this is what it was. It was like I was seeing light, I was seeing air, and it was like this smoky, opaque, misty stuff floating all around. And I could see it close up, like right in my face, but I could also see it in the distance. It was like not clear to me if it were near or far, or both. And I do think there's something important about that. The idea of something that's both near and far. Because it reminds me of trying to understand myself as, as God and man. That it's also man, you know, that's something that's near, it's down to earth, it's something I understand. And God, that's something far, something I don't understand, something vastly, vastly far away from me. At least that's how it seems. And that's what, that's what part of the image here is the smoke, the air, the light. And when I talk about, when I talk about closing my eyes and seeing myself in this, in this sort of pink, uh, space, it's like, if you can imagine closing your eyes, uh, where you can sort of see on a bright day, kind of the pinkness from your, from your eyelids, let's say, you can still see the colors you're picking up on that, uh, even from your closed eyes. Um, so something like that. Um, let's see, um. Oh, and then and then I talk about um, I talk about seeing uh, a womb, and like like a faceless um, like a faceless creature inside of a womb. So that's the idea is like uh, you know that pink light being inside of inside of flesh, and uh, the, the the picture I'm seeing being being a womb. So I think what might be happening here in this image is um, it's actually something like moving backwards in time. This is kind of a new insight for me, but I'll, I'll try to tell you what I mean. So it starts, we start talking about this faceless image in a womb, and then it turns into these snake-like fractal spirals. So we have all the colors moving and in the, in the patterns within patterns. We've got that illusion of motion that, that comes with the fractals with that experience. Um, and then I open up my eyes, uh, you know, th- then it, everything becomes white and I open up my eyes. So to me, it's like, um, I just wonder if we've started in the womb, we've started at like, you know, the first moment of life in being. And then we move backwards into the geometric fractals, into the patterns that are somehow responsible for being. And then into the white. And the white is... Um, the white is non-being. It's unconscious. It's, it's, it's the, the place, the origin, the place where everything's coming from. Um, it's the thing that you can't, you can't know. And so it's just this blank white. So something like that. That's kind of what I think might have been happening here. But I do think it's important that we continue to see the fractal stuff. We also now see this shadow figure, which in the beginning was smoke in the air, but it was also um, in the form of this faceless, Being inside of the womb. Um, And here's the next one. The opaque, translucent ribbon or shadow that moves and undulates and can sometimes be perceived at a distance and other times so close that my eyes cross trying to focus on it. When I look, but do not try to see, try to make out anything specifically, the ribbon is filled with detail. Looks like patterns, fractal branching patterns. The less I look, the more I see. Like the details emerge from deeper and deeper within. And then I say static as potentiality. So that so that's this passage. So again, I bring the idea up of static, which I think is interesting because that comes back comes back into the equation, but but also I have this shadow or ribbon. So I said I describe it as a ribbon here, but I think that's related to what I said before about the light and the smoke hanging in the air. Is that that's sort of what it looks like, but then it kind of turns into these, um, turns into these sort of cylinder shaped, um, maybe rings that are inner inner interconnected and they're morphing and changing into one another. But they're also moving on the inside, so you can see there's more to these to these rings. Um, you know, that's happening inside of it Like there's like the same pattern repeating inside of it So there's that um, So that ribbon and shadow and shadow creature I think are all connected And maybe all the same thing um, And again I'm focusing on it being at a distance But also very close Like so close to me That my eyes are crossing Trying to look at it Like like maybe it's Maybe what that's trying to tell me Is that the thing I'm seeing is Is not just so close to me it's not just so close to me I can't see it. It's actually me or part of me. So I'm starting to feel like maybe, maybe that uh, image, seeing it like it's going to make my eyes cross, is really just me trying to understand that it's not something apart from me. It's something that is me. But when I look up at a distance, I can also see it at a distance. So again, you're starting to see the threads getting put together that if I'm understanding this mystic experience to be a way of helping me understand what God is, that I'm now understanding God more to be both myself and the things distant from myself, the things outside of myself. So maybe, maybe both God, uh, and the cosmos, something like that. And then I loop back to this idea of static. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, here this, the static had this different, um, had this different kind of feeling uh than than before it wasn't just looking at like the image of static on a tv it was like looking at the looking at the shapes of the black and the white random dots on the screen and seeing um form seeing images pop up in my imagination like like looking at clouds and seeing shapes in clouds. It was something like that. Like there were, f- that, that, that even though I'm looking at this chaos, the static, and there's no shape to it and there's no form to it, it's just nothingness. That even in that random nothingness, there are shapes that, that, that distinct forms and patterns that will, that will randomly appear. So there might be something there that's trying to tell me that, um, that, that order or um, form or being, let's say, material reality, that it will automatically um, emerge from this, from this chaos, from this thing this, that I'm seeing as static and I'm thinking about as infinite potentiality. And that's the same thing, I'll use that phrase when I talk about the unconscious or non-being or God, that all of that to me is kind of different words for the same thing. Infinite potentiality, the thing from which anything can, can come. Anything can emerge. That's God. So I'm seeing that as somehow as static. And, and I'll move on here because this is, uh, this is interesting as well, um, and I think it's related to the static. So here, here we go. A wall of eyes staring at itself, blinking on and off at random. They ob- observe itself and project within itself the hologram of reality. The hologram is consciousness experiencing itself. This act creates a web, like many ripples in a pond, interacting, fracturing and becoming infinitely more complex. The more complex the web becomes, the more potential it has to become something. Something like the network of synapses in our brains. That complexity, that magic, eventually creates matter The system gets larger and more complex with each interpretation, generating more and more potentiality, expanding and transforming without end. And then I end like this. The web of consciousness is so deep. The experience that we are is so deep in that web that we aren't aware of how far away from the source we are. We're so ignorant of it, so far removed, that we don't even believe the source exists. Unquote. Okay, so this this is this was really a trippy image. It doesn't do justice the way what I've written down. And again, guys, I'm re- reading this f- f- to you exactly as I wrote it. Um, so it's it's just getting the idea down. It's not polished or beautiful. So take it take it for what it is. But the experience of this looking at a wall of eyes, um, this is what I actually imagined. I saw an infinite black expanse. And in this expanse was nothing but eyes. And then I wondered what they were looking at. They're just floating in space, stacked on top of each other, filling the filling the blackness. And I look to see what they're looking at, and they're looking at a wall of eyes. So you've got this infinite wall of eyes staring at an infinite wall of eyes. So you've got one wall observing the other wall, and they're identical to one another. It's like, what that represents to me... Is consciousness, or or self consciousness, the thing that we perceive ourselves to be? I've got I've got eyes which represent you know that which sees that our consciousness and it's looking at it's observing consciousness eyes that see, you know eyes were. Um, were were used in religious symbolism, uh, going back to the beginning of time. And the the uh, the eye of Horus, you know, in Egyptian mythology, is the all seeing eye, the thing that we have at the top of our of our. You know U.S. dollar bill, um, that that this is a religious idea that that has the same meaning. It's it's the the all-seeing eye. So the thing that you think is watching you and all your good and bad behavior, you know that 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 uh, conscience that we abstract and think of, you know, think of as God somehow keeping tally, uh, so that we so that we uh, so that we know if we're going to heaven or hell, kind of thing. That what that is is just self-consciousness. You are the consciousness that's aware of all your misdeeds. You are the consciousness that's keeping the tally. You know, that, that's you. Um, and in the, what the mystic experience tells you is that consciousness is, is all there is. So thinking of your consciousness is not really a legitimate way of, of conceptualizing it. My consciousness and your consciousness is the same. It's the same thing. It's the only thing there is. All right, so the wall of eyes, and I think it's funny, though, that the static, you know, that when I was imagining this, you know, looking at this TV screen and seeing the static, the black and white, that that so closely resembles this image of the wall of eyes that I have I have no way of, of um, you know, arguing that they're connected. So, you know, the black and white spots, the, the sh- static that I'm talking about, that that image was like a less detailed version of this wall of eyes that I that I talked about a minute ago. All right, so the next one here, uh, being is layers of consciousness stacked one atop another, creating a complex web. This is what I imagined when I saw the transparent moving shadow that seemed both far away and touching my eyes. It seemed to move randomly, intentionally, as if engaging or interacting with me. This is, I think, the thing that becomes the colorful, snaking, fractal image So this was my uh, initial um, initial interpretation of one of those other experiences that I actually think maybe I I disagree with today. That um, that the shadow, uh, the the relationship between the shadow creature and the snaking fractals, I'm not sure I I you know am convinced about um, as it may seem like I am in this passage, but I'm not sure that's true. But I do talk about. Uh, A web again, and I talked about that before, um, where the the complexity of the fractals, that they create some sort of a tapestry, some sort of a layered web, um, and that 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 comes back here, Um, and I say that that web is made of layers of consciousness, so I'm not really sure at this point that I have an, an, an understanding of what I mean by layers of consciousness. I'm just sort of suggesting intuitively that it makes sense to me that if this web that I that I've been visualizing in these other images exists, that what it's made of is consciousness, and that somehow if and, and I, I remember thinking of this thing called graphene. Uh, Graphene is a a man-made substance. It's very very thin and very very strong It's stronger than steel stronger than spider silk and it's very thin like a couple of atoms long Very very thin and so this is what I was imagining this 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 type of a graphene and it would take so many layers of graphene before you'd have something material before you'd have something you could pick up with your hand um, and that's kind of what I imagined, that if consciousness was just layered and layered and layered, like I was talking about with the fractals, patterns within patterns within patterns, that eventually those layers would become substantial. That you know maybe consciousness is this ethereal, prematerial thing. But if you stack enough of it on top of each other, just like the graphene, suddenly it becomes something that you can pick up or something that can take a breath and sing a song and do a dance. You see what I'm getting at? Um, that consciousness could, might might be able to be layered in, in different complex ways to eventually become all of material reality. And that is uh, very much in line with what some people in physics today uh, will say um, there's a gentleman named Philip Goff that I've talked about as a physicist, somebody who uh, identifies as a, a panpsychist. They believe that that physics is only going to kind of crack the mysteries that that's left unanswered when they admit that consciousness is something that needs to be taken into consideration. It might even be the basis of all material reality. This is something like what I like what I'm talking about here. So I think what what happens at this point is that the images begin to change again. So we talked about mirrors, we talked about static, we talked about shadows. Um, now we're gonna get we're gonna get some more uh, some more images popping up. And again, uh, go easy on me here, guys. But I want to read this to you. I am structure and magic and infinity. I am order and chaos without end. There is no difference between self. And eternity. That is the message of the fractals. The thing that causes me to be is simultaneously causing all things to be. Consciousness reflected back on itself in an infinite stream of change forever. This is how consciousness is sacrificial. Like the fractal pattern that morphs into forever new forms, consciousness yields itself to become something new forever. Consciousness changes itself, ceasing to be what it is always in order to become something new. This is what consciousness does, what I do, what we all do. We are countless forms of God existing together within ourselves, unaware of being one and convinced that we are other. All right, so that's it. So with this one, I know, guys, I get that it sounds like poetry to some degree, not not great poetry, but again, um, bear in mind that I, I am digging down deep, struggling with the limitations of language, trying to trying to express what it is that that I'm in, intuiting from this experience, and this is the best I could do. I am structure and magic and infinity. I am order and chaos without end. So here, here this is maybe the first time that i i seem to identify myself with with the magic that i talked about that animates being the, the the thing that's that allows existence to be that allows life to emerge that thing that i'm just calling magic i say i am structure and magic and infinity i am order and chaos without end so here i think the importance is that i'm starting to kind of get over the um you know, that, that humble uh, part of my conscience that says, you know, you can't you can't possibly be considering yourself to be God or consciousness to be God. You can't possibly. That's such a lofty thing to say, and you're such a lowly creature. How, how could you think that? So here I'm finally getting over those objections where the mystic experience has been slapping me in the face, slapping me in the face, saying, I'm, I'm telling you what you need to know. Pay attention. And finally, I say, okay, I am structure and magic and eternity. And so when I do that, um, everything gets easier in the experience. And then I say, there's no difference between self and eternity. There's no difference between me and God. Um, And I say, this is the message of the fractals. So now now I'm answering that question kind of like an aha moment where I'm saying, these, these images that, that I, that I keep showing to you. And when I say that, I mean myself, like I keep showing myself these images in the, in the mystic experience over and over and over again of these, of these images, these symbols that exist. Um, and they're, they seem to be made up of themselves in smaller form inside and inside them is more of the same. And all of the movement. Uh, in and out uh, you know up and down the scale of being is 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 it's important it's, It seems to be what life is coming from. Maybe that's the buzz that I was hearing in that earlier in that earlier uh, segment. So there's something really important about that that I'm kind of right on the precipice of understanding and finally giving in and and sort of taking ownership of that. and it seems to be what the experience was trying to get me to do. Because the moment I do that, it becomes easier for me. It starts to flow, and I start to get more, it starts to make more sense to me. Um, And then I talk about consciousness being sacrificial. And so this is something that you can see in the fractals, and I talk about that. I'm like, you know, when I look at the image, and it changes into another image, and inside of that image I can still see more things changing even there and inside that you know maybe it's barely all I can make out but I can even see some changing happening on that third level and I can I can imagine it goes on and on and on so I can see the sh- shifting and changing shapes and colors um, from within and from without. Um, and that change seems to be really important to me because it, because again, it corresponds to reality. The way that I experience reality is change. It's it's entropy. It's decomposition. It's it's everything is constantly breaking down and changing. So here I have the first, um, the first link between the image of the fractal and the um, and the reality that I'm kind of accustomed to. And I understand the changing of the fractal to be sacrificial. It's like I was one shape and now I'm a new shape. I was one color and now I'm a new color. So I didn't go away, but I've transformed. And and so I, I'm understanding that as the the fractal sacrificing itself to itself in order to become something new, some new shape, some new thing. And then I can't. I'm struck with how that corresponds to, to my my reality. You know, everybody, everybody is sort of called to sacrifice, and we can only get the things that we want if we're willing to pay the price. And this goes back to me to what I said several times uh, in the Bible where it says, ask and it shall be given, knock and it shall be opened. That, you know, it, it doesn't just say... Um, it shall be opened, it shall be given. It doesn't just say that. It says, knock, and it shall be open." Right? Ask, and it shall be given. So like what, it's, what it's saying is that there's something that you need to do, that you need to sacrifice, right? There's something that you need to give. And, and I think what that means is really, again, in the mystic experience, you understand that there's only one thing. So what you're sacrificing is yourself. And that's how it feels. I mean, anybody who has kids, you you know that. You know, you sacrifice your your time, you sacrifice your your um, your interests, you sacrifice the food off your plate if you have to feed your kids. You sacrifice everything um, for somebody for somebody else, and that gives you more meaning in your life than you've ever had before. So, so sacrifice is something that you have to give um, in order to get. Same thing when I was talking to you about you know struggling to lose weight or struggling to understand what these images mean. Um, you have to give in order to get. And the fractals are basically saying that. That I'm, I'm forever giving of myself in order to create something new, in order to sustain being. Um, so it's something like that. And then I end by saying that we're countless forms of God existing together within ourself, unaware of being one, and convinced that we are other so here I'm here I'm just saying that you know I, I understand all of reality to be countless countless forms of God that we're all just the, the one thing whatever that is and the place that we exist in is also God we're God running around in God a pattern within a pattern um, and then I say that we're unaware that we're God so we're this pattern existing in God we're God in God but we don't know that we're God it's this amazing paradox and it reminds me of something I said earlier about being overwhelmed with the absurdity of the mystic experience. That there was a time where I was in there, I, I couldn't understand anything. It was all topsy turvy. And I'm like, I'm like overwhelmed by how absurd it is. And I think that that's connected. That's connected here that we are ourselves existing within ourselves. That is absurd. It's an absurd idea. And I think it's there's something important about that. All right, we're getting close, guys. We're getting close to the end. So, um, so here I have another uh, another few um, I'll talk about, and then I want to kind of branch off to talk about a different thing here. But I'll I'll do this quickly. Um, all right, so here's another one. It starts off. I say this: another face for that which sees. And Then I say, pain, peace. Pain is living peace is being one pain is the self contending with the self why does the psyche keep bringing us back to pain no escaping it no avoiding it why because in pain consciousness can, contends with consciousness pain becoming pain becoming change pain is the impetus for change and change is the essence of the infinite and then I say God is a verb; it is change without end. So this is another another phrase here. Now I've introduced the, the concept of pain, which is interesting, um, and I think maybe because what what's going on with, in my personal life at the time that maybe I was uh, maybe I was thinking a little bit more about that, but I was also thinking about in, in Buddhism how they say that life is suffering, and I kind of agree. You know, you it's not all suffering. There is, there is suffering involved and it's necessary and it's unavoidable. So I do believe that. And so I make a distinction between pain and peace. Like when I'm not in pain, I'm in peace. So there's this dichotomy. And pain, I say, is living. It's contending with the self. So when, I, when, I, when I'm alive, when I'm walking around in the world, um, acting and, and interacting, that not, not all that's easy, that it comes with pain. So it's like just to exist is to be in pain to some degree. To 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 try anything, to try for anything is to suffer or to sacrifice to some degree. Um, And so when I say that pain is the self contending with the self or consciousness contending with consciousness, I can't help but be reminded of that phrase I've used several times already from the Bible of Jacob wrestling with God. You know, if if the self is contending with the self and God is all there is, then I am God contending with God. every day when I live my life, every, every action that I take, every plan that I make, every goal that I set, everything that I do, is, is, is God struggling with God? Um, so it's something like that. And then I, then I ask why the pain is necessary, like why is it unavoidable? And then I answer my own question. So again, knock and it shall be opened. I've asked the question. The un- unconscious has basically provided me that answer. and It's coming from me. This is how it feels. It feels like I am answering my own question, but it also feels like a damn good answer. So I say, why is the pain necessary? Why does, why does life keep bringing you again and again into pain? And I say, because in pain, consciousness contends with itself. Because pain is the unavoidable thing. If you're in pain, you cannot deny that you're in pain. You're forced to be 100% uh, aware of the fact that you exist and that pain exists. And I say here, uh, pain becoming pain becoming change, because pain is the impetus for change. So when, when something is painful, I immediately want to ease that pain. So I'll do something and maybe that's remove the splinter. Maybe that's quit my job. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, whatever's causing me pain, there's some action that I feel inclined to take to relieve that pain. And whenever I take action, something is changed. And this is, I don't want, I don't want to over, uh, overlook or glance over this, this last point that whenever I act, there's, there's change. Um, and that's true for anybody. You know, so you might say, you know, you, you know, you, whatever, you dropped something out the car window. So what changed? Well, the thing you dropped broke and maybe there's a little chip out out of the road and now you no longer have that thing that you have anymore. These are just three off the top of my head changes that have occurred. Somebody is born, let's say, you know, imagine all the change that, 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 that might uh, be brought about for, between their parents, their friends, their acquaintances, the doctor, the nurses, you know, the, the whatever. It goes on and on and on. Any interaction you have in your life is changing uh, the experience that you're having and the experience that other people interacting with you are having, that the world would, uh, would legitimately not be the same without you that that is 100% undeniable. Um all right, well I got I lost my train of thought a little bit, but um uh, I'll circle back here on this next one. Um oh, sorry. So I was talking about pain as the impetus for change. So, you know, um I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is that everything that you do in the world changes more things than you think it does. And I guess what I'm getting at is if God is the world, if God is all there is, then our existence and all the things that we do that change our experiences and the experience of others, that's changing God. And so in some sense, we're God, and we're changing God from within. That's the kind of image I'm talking about. Patterns within patterns. But something more than that, something like the patterns have the ability to drive the transformation of that pattern. That that that's kind of what makes us what makes us God in this weird way, that we're the pattern in the pattern, and somehow have the ability to drive that car to steer that pattern in any way we want. We're in control of the pattern. How can we be the pattern if we're the one making the pattern? This is the absurdity that I was talking about. This is the paradox of trying to understand yourself as God or consciousness as one. Um, so let's let's continue doing that. Uh, last couple here, I imagined consciousness as an axis with a wave pattern moving up and down. I imagine the movement up and down triggered by its own self experience. It's moving in a certain trajectory, it encounters itself and it changes direction. Like a like a stock ticker. that's kind of what I had in mind. And I say the reaction of it with itself is the chasing of a goal. and the goal itself is always changing. The axis is not static but a transforming line, like a wave itself. It's like a large wave laid over a smaller wave, and the interactions of the two is driving and changing the system. Okay, so now I have this analogy of a ticker, like like two waves that are sort of ticking up and down along an axis, and every time they interact, they cha- it changes the pattern of that wave. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like both of those waves are part of a system, and their interactions with one another are driving the system, and what the system is, is just this changing pattern. So, I understood this as self-experience, that one wave is, is God, and the other wave is being. Um, And everywhere they touch, this is the, um, you know, well, maybe maybe I should say one wave is consciousness and the other wave is consciousness. And every time they're touching, that that interaction is somehow creating, um, it's sustaining the pattern. It's sustaining God. It's being what God is somehow, like the engine behind it. Um, And it's never-ending. Something like that. And again... I'll point out. You can see how difficult it is to, to make sense of this these images, um, and, and I guess that's kind of the point that I want you to see that this is how strong, how long, and laborious the process is for me struggling with God here, trying to understand what these what these symbols and images mean when I, when when I encounter these mystic mystic uh, you know experiences. All right, I got two more. And then I want to, um, and then I want to move on to something called active imagination. So, uh, okay, so last one or last couple here. Um, I say we are the experience God is having, and I think that's absolutely terrific. We are the experience that God is having. So earlier, I was trying to understand consciousness as experience because to me, you know, I, I feel myself to be a conscious creature, and the thing that I'm experiencing. Um, as you know, as indistinct from my consciousness, like I am the experiences that I've had and I'm having. That's how it feels to me. So when I say we are the experience God is having, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that you can imagine um, that God is is consciousness, and that a little bit of God is in each and every one of us, and we're having experiences in the world. So it's like we're experiencing for consciousness. We're doing the experiencing for God, almost like we're the, we're the, you know, we're the, the sense organs of God or something like that. Um, and then I say God experiences its itself as being, and that being represents God's knowledge of itself. And this is to me, this is just a way of me trying to understand God as self consciousness, because it gets more and more clear to me that being is not just about consciousness, but it's about self-consciousness and that that somehow that's different. Different in the way that like a like a dog might be conscious, but not self-conscious. And a human being is self-conscious. So something something different about consciousness and self-consciousness and that that being that being important. Um, And then I say, is it a leap to understand knowledge as data in this context? as information held within a knower. And to suppose a kind of a matrix scenario, wherein material reality is a system of symbols that encode the data that is the record of God's self-consciousness. Something like that. That that kind of imagining a a biological creature, like a like a container for consciousness, to be something like something like a book, you know, like it contains like I am um, that I, I, contain data, you know, the experiences that I have had and will have, and am having now that these experiences are somehow information about God that exists within God. Again, very hard to understand. Uh, seems very, very, you know, uh, messy, even when I'm saying it now, but just trying to explain to you how the, how the images are evolving. All right, um, okay, so I have, this, I have this other passage about um, being, uh, it's like, a, let's see here, um, I'll read it to you. I say, I am an experience. All, all experiences are experiences of consciousness by consciousness. It becomes by transforming itself, by becoming its own sculptor, by becoming other in being and observing the consequences. Sitting back and observing the Monte Carlo simulation playing out. Being is like a thousand punctures in the fabric of reality from which consciousness flows through like a raging, roaring river. Overwhelming. Experience without end. Every atom, every screaming baby, is another puncture. A vessel through which consciousness erupts with a force unimaginable. The puncture itself is only vaguely aware of exactly what flows through it, what it is, and entirely ignorant of the infinite source of being that pushes hard against the veil of perception, like a monstrous tidal wave begging to pour forth into being. Through being, non-being gets to look, feel, taste, and hear infinitely. It gets to be experienced in countless forms, and thereby gets to be infinity. Consciousness gets to be water, for instance. It gets to be the gentle, flowing, life-sustaining nectar, as well as the roaring, destructive typhoon, and everything in between. But not just that. It gets to be the home of sea life and the sea life's experience of their home. It gets to be humans' experience of splashing and swimming and quenching of thirst. All the varying opinions, relationships, and emotions associated with those experiences as well. To be water is to be an infinity of things in relation to all other things. This is the fractal nature of reality. So I know that was a longer stretch, um, but I talked about a couple of things, this image of like a like a black, it's like an infinite black expanse with these holes punched in it, and I can sort of feel consciousness behind that sheet just pouring forth out of those holes, just barely being held back by this veil that's holding this, this roaring, terrifying power behind it. It's very emotional. To, to describe this feeling is it's really not visual so much as emotional. I, I wish I could explain that better, but it's the way it feels and it, and it makes sense. The feelings have meaning all by themselves without a whole lot of visual components. And then this, this example that I use about being water, it's sort of interesting because it's like, it's using only one example, water. Although, you know, when I say consciousness is everything, it's all things could have infinite number of examples, but I just use one. I use the example of water. And in that example, you can see how many different ways water can be experienced. Um, it, it seems like an infinite number of ways. And that's what I'm getting at is patterns within patterns within patterns, that if it's possible for consciousness to be water and at the same time be all these different things to all these different things that you can sort of begin to see um, consciousness being infinite in and of itself but also infinite within itself so you've got infinity in what might seem like a finite thing, in this case water so just sort of a, and then again a confirmation at the end that that is what I mean by the fractal nature of reality, that Consciousness is an infinite number of things Um, Okay The last one is kind of an analogy That that to me seemed a little bit Like a virus And again maybe this is in the COVID era This is just something on the top of my head Uh, But um, I said here Consciousness doesn't care about your perception Or understanding of it It just keeps doing what it does Penetrating and filling itself With itself The self-replicating fractal of being Being seems to arise or emerge from the thing that is happening when the fractal perpetuates itself, moves, creates a web of complexity within itself without end. So here, when I, when I talk about penetrating and filling itself with itself, I can't help but imagine a virus uh, you know, latching onto a cell, you know, uh, sticking in all of its DNA and causing new viruses to get made inside the cell and burst open and move on to other cells. You know, that's what happens. It penetrates the cell and it fills it with itself. And this is sort of the image that comes to my mind, that consciousness penetrates itself and then it fills itself with more consciousness patterns within patterns so we circle back to that all right thanks for your patience guys uh this brings me up to the end i've got a couple others that i want to read through to you but they're a little different so i want to explain to you what i mean um when i was reading the carl jung book uh, archetypes of the collective unconscious he said several times that one of the things he did apart from uh, apart from um, meeting with patients, talking about their dreams, allowing them to, to have fantasy images come to mind, talking about those things, trying to explore their unconscious, one of the things he did with his own unconscious is something called active imagination, and he describes this. and uh, It sounds silly, but I'll tell you, I practiced it, and I'll and I'll I'll kind of give you the. Um, the results of that and what he said he did was he would just find, um, you know, a quiet meditative time to sit down and um, relax and try to clear his mind and allow images to just flow into his head. Now, sometimes he would have uh, thoughts about what he like a problem, what he was working on, what he wanted to figure out, but then he would just sit there and let the answers come to him in, in, in ideas and visual images Whatever just pops into his head, he, he would assume that, his, that, his, that the unconscious was, that these weren't random images, but that they were somehow meaningful, and he just studied that. And he did that for years and years and years and wrote a book or a series of books about that, uh, which I haven't read, but I'd like to. I understand they're, they're very hard to understand, um, but uh, you can kind of imagine it like creating this imaginary world um, in your psyche. And using what you see and experience in that imaginary world to make sense of the things that you're struggling to understand. The idea here is creating a link between yourself and the unconscious part of yourself that that knows things you don't know. The part of you that gives you those dreams or gives you the images from from the mystic experience that you know are meaningful but don't immediately have access to. So Carl Jung is bypassing that. He's basically practicing how to make himself come up with these images and get better and better at it um, to see if he can help work through his own psychological development or any other problems that he might have. And it's kind of like asking God for, for the answer to a question. Um, so that's what I did. I did it um, a bit, and I want to read, read to you what I came up with. So here's one. I try to visualize the endless matrix of being. I see a dark field like an endless ocean, with no beginning or ending. From it, I see objects leaping one by one and back into it again. They form a semicircle as they leap in sequence. Then suddenly, my point of view changes and I'm hovering above the water and I can see the full circle. I can see the objects like fish or dolphins. They're moving above the water, leaping out of it, and then back into it. The circle that they're moving creates, um, it becomes a vortex or a tornado or a cyclone or a black hole or something like that that sucks everything towards it. Everything except for me. I try to move towards it to move into it, but I can't. I'm just a spectator. Okay, so that's it. That was my first attempt uh, at active imagination. And really, really interesting because because what what we have in this image is really simple. It's just me looking at, you know, what you might imagine like a dolphin hopping out of the ocean in the distance. And you just seeing kind of half of a circle of the dolphin coming out of the water and back into the water. And then I start, I start hovering or flying or floating above the image. And I suddenly, I can see that the dolphin exists under the water the same as it does above the water. And it's just this circle in and out, in and out. It's just this circle of dolphin coming into the water and out of the water. And, and when I think about this, this is what comes to my mind in retrospect, um, especially after reading Jung. We know, we know a couple things. We know that, um, the, that water is a really common image in dreams and in myth, mythology for the unconscious. So water represents the unconscious. And then the creature in the image is, is, a, is a being, a creature that would exist in the world, a, a dolphin, so here I've got uh, this creature that exists in the water, in the unconscious, and then when it leaps out into the into the world, it's also existing in 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 being. So I've got this creature that exists partly in unconsciousness and partly in consciousness, partly in non-being and partly in being. so that's what I, that's what I'm seeing and then it becomes this this vortex that sort of sucks everything in and i and i i i'm interested in that i want to see what that vortex is but i'm not allowed to, i'm not allowed to go see it i just i can just watch it and then I, I have thoughts about this you know like apart from the idea that water represents consciousness and this creature that i'm seeing is basically telling me that hey being you know these creatures um they they have a, a reality both in non-being in god in unconscious but also in reality, in being, just like you experience in your day to day, where we're, we're both partly existing in consciousness and in unconsciousness. Um, then I also have to have to recognize that dolphins, you know, dol- you know, I, it's one thing to kind of imagine if it was a person that I'm seeing in this image, but it's not. It's a it's a it's an animal, you know, and, and a, a dolphin belongs in the water, you know, that's where they live. So it, it's it's also kind of to be expected that I might see a, a sea creature. Um, but also a a mammal. So this is a sea creature, but it's also something like myself. It's it's a mammal. So here I am seeing that a creature like myself exists partly in unconscious and partly in in conscious, partly in non-being and partly in being. And so that's how I have to understand this, that the nature of man and God is something like that, a creature that's partly in being and partly in non-being, partly God and partly man. And I can't help to, I can't help but say when I say partly God and partly man, that I think of Jesus. I think of the, I think of the, of the, of the character, you know, Jesus. And I also have to admit that one of the symbols of Jesus in early Christianity was was of a fish. So I don't know, you know, it's an interesting uh, correlation, but um, I don't know what it means other than God, uh, Jesus, you know, existed as the God man, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. All right, number two, I try to project a a figure in my mind for the unconscious to inhabit. So so in my imagination, I'm trying to just create some sort of a stand-in that I can use to kind of interact with the unconscious. That's what I'm trying to do. All right, here's what I see. I see a body of water which diminishes down to a pebbled creek. I stand on one bank, and on the other stands a shadowy human form with no discernible characteristics. It is ethereal like a ghost, but not exactly. It is a familiar image induced by the mystic experience. So I'm gonna stop here to tell you, that this image that I saw—it's like a faceless, like a like a man, like the body, like the frame of a human being—but you can't tell whether it's a man or a woman. You—it doesn't have any facial features. It doesn't have any hair. It's just like a like a shadowy outline, but it's white. And this is exactly what I remember seeing earlier on when I said that there was that figure that in the pink womb and that earlier experience and then I talked about the shadow figures and the ribbons and all that, and the light, like, substance. All of that stuff that I'm talking about is exactly the same thing that I'm describing. So it's clear to me in the experience that when I say I saw this human shadowy human form, this ethereal ghost-like creature, this is what I'm talking about. The same thing I've encountered before in the mystic experience. So I'm going to pick up here. I'm going to call this thing, this shadow, unconscious. So I ask unconscious to know it. I ask what it knows that I do not. I ask for it to offer me what I most need to discover. It responds wordlessly by telling me that I am not ready for it, not ready for the next revelation. A fear suddenly arises in me that it may be dangerous to create a projection within myself to house the unconscious where I can interact with it and it with me? What if the unconscious takes over? What if it does not yield control of my mind back to me? What if it extends itself out of my imagination and into my actual existence with unknown consequences? And then I curiously, bravely, stretch my arm out over the creek. And unconscious does the same. I grasp it and I find myself instantly on the wrong side of the creek. I switched places. In fear, I do not release my grasp. I will not let go. And then we are swirling together, back and forth between the two banks of the creek, arm in arm with unconscious. We dance. I am struck suddenly with the realization that the interaction between ego consciousness and unconsciousness, between non being and its self representation, is this very dance. It is the consciousness emerging into and out of the unconscious repeatedly. So that's 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 the last uh, the last bit. So, oh, I also I also wondered what is the music that we're dancing to. So I also had that had that uh, question arise. So this is all happening in my active imagination. And just to go over this again and less flowerly. so I, I I try to picture the unconscious. It's no surprise to me that I see a big body of water because. Water is an, is an image of the unconscious. But then it, then it turns into this just narrow, pebbled creek. It's like this large body of water turned into this really small creek that I, it was, it, I could just step over it into the unconscious. It was no problem at all. And on the other bank, looking at me, is this shadow creature. And when I reach out to touch it, it reaches out to touch me. So it's like I'm looking in a mirror again. And again, we, we might go back to that mirror uh, image that we started with. Um, the shadow creature from some of these other experiences is there. Um, I move and it moves in the same way. It's it almost like it's a mirror reflection of myself. And I have this fear that, you know, maybe it, it will replace me, something like that. And then when, when I touch it, uh, The unconscious version of me and me, we're we're doing this weird dance on both sides of the bank of consciousness and unconsciousness, and it seems to be significant, this dance of ours, like it's the dance between consciousness and unconsciousness, between being and non-being that that is what God is. And then then last, I ask myself, what is the music that we're dancing to, which is another reference back to that buzz that we talked about earlier and the dancing that we talked about earlier. Again, it takes two to tango. And in this case, it's myself and the unconscious. It, 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 you might say it's myself um, and, and my own, own self-experience. You might say it's consciousness and consciousness. All right, so I've got one final one here that I want to read to you. Again, one of these active imagination exercises. Uh, and it goes like this. I spoke to myself silently in my own head. And I imagined where those words, where those sounds were coming from. In the darkness of my internal world, I thought, in my psyche. I noticed, though, that the character of the words spoken uh, to myself were too much like a word spoken out loud. I mean to say that I could not only speak in my head, but yell I could raise the volume and intensity of my inner voice, bringing it to an absolute scream inside my head, perhaps even vastly more deafening than my material voice. And there I sat, screaming silently into the unconscious, where only I was there to hear it. And suddenly an image appeared in my imagination, and this is what the image was. It was a circle, like a moon, outlined against a blank sky, but the sky wasn't really a sky, rather a, a blank backdrop. Stranger still, the circle or the moon was black, and the blank sky was flawless white, the reverse of what I would have expected. And that's it. So this one's interesting, because it, it harkens back to that the, the remark I was making earlier about The voice, you know, speaking out of my voice, you know, out of the unconscious, being something different than making a, uh, you know, causing a corpse, uh, a body to to make sounds by sending electrical impulses into its vocal cords. Like there's something different about that. There's some place where the meaning is flowing from uh, in in my voice uh, into the world. It's like when I speak something, I'm speaking something into the world. You know, it's a very strange thing. Think about that for a second. You know, the sound vibrations coming out of your mouth right now are intentional. You formed them that, them that way to say a certain thing. And when you do, you bring it from nowhere up out of your mouth and into the world where other people can hear it. It's a very interesting phenomenon that people do not think about enough. To speak is such an amazing magical thing. And you know, it's no wonder that uh, the ancient greeks and and the um you know the early christians uh you know had a had a emphasis on logos on the word uh you know the spoken word being so important and critical to understanding god you know even in the in the creation where god speaks you know let there be light and and, and adam names the animals that there's something something significant about speaking that connects god and man or or you know god and his creation you might say so there's something there um, something about uh you know being able to speak inside my own head, in this inner world of mine, in my imagination, which to me seems a lot like like outer space you know like my my imagination is this infinite place where anything anything can exist. And I kind of look at that inside my head, and I open up my eyes, and I look at the infinite expanse of space, just the blackness with no stars. And I imagine it going on forever, and I imagine anything could exist out there. Um, And so there's some connection between uh, this black infinite expanse of my imagination, where my inner voice is, and the infinite expanse of the material cosmos, something like that. Um, also want to talk about, uh, bringing my voice in my inner voice up to a, a roar and feeling like I'm screaming louder and more, you know, terribly than I could ever manage with my biological vocal cords, that there's also a connection there between this, um, uncapable power that I feel in my inner voice to the same thing I was I was talking about with the veil with the punctures. So there was this sheet with the punctures, and the consciousness was flowing through the punctures, and it was like this terrible power behind the veil that was roaring to get out, and just barely held back by that by that um, by that uh, uh, you know that sheet. That this is sort of this this incomparable un. Um, this in- incomparable power that I'm talking about when I was trying to imagine consciousness flowing into the world is the same sort of thing that I that I'm harnessing when I when I'm screaming in my w- into my own head with my inner voice is something connected to that and I just wanted to share that with you. I'm, I'm not sure I understand it all the way, but that's that's what I mean. Um, also, the last thing here is that. When I saw this last image, this this very simple image, it's a circle, a white circle against a black background, and the background is infinite, like like the infinity of space, and the circle is something that I call the moon, even though uh, even though to me it was purely white, no details, purely white. So I'm not sure it was exactly the moon, but that's what it seemed like, the moon in the sky, but with the colors reversed, black moon, white sky, something like that. So. Um, so in the, in this example, I, I'm struck with the fact that the circle, Young um, would call it the round, that the round um, or the Ouroboros, uh, the snake eating its tail, that that round shape um, has always represented God. It's always represented the wholeness, the completion, the the the, the, the all. The one that I was telling you about from the mystic experience—that that that—that's what the round thing represents, and then the black background. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know what it represents. But what what I did notice about the experience is that the circle in the background were not the colors I expected them to be. They were, in fact, exactly the opposite. So I'm looking at the moon at this circle in the sky, expecting it to be white against a black sky. Instead, I have a black moon against a white sky, and I'm and I'm struck here trying to understand what that what the significance of that might mean, and all I can really think of is this: that I struggled so much to understand what God is, and had such a difficult time um, believing that I could be the thing that I'm trying to to make sense of, that consciousness, that the thing that I am could be the same thing that God is, the same thing I'm trying to understand, that when I finally did kind of come to that realization, that it really was the opposite of what I expected it to be. You know, I expected God to be God and man to be man. And what I uncovered is that God is man, man is God. And I don't know how to explain that to myself any clearer than that very simple picture Of the round um, against the infinite expanse of sky, and the colors being the opposite of what I would expect them to be. And the realization there is that uh, you know maybe maybe I can allow myself to to go all the way with that, to imagine that that uh, consciousness is um, what the mystic experience says that it is. That you and me and everyone listening to this are not really distinct from one another. That we're all one in consciousness. Um, I think that has a lot of explanatory power. And on the, next, on the next solo podcast, I have every intention of getting into some physics. Um, again, I don't understand that stuff all that well, but I've done a bit of reading and I, I've done enough to be super interested in a couple of different things that tie into this mystic experience and the idea of God as I've described it in some really interesting ways. So buckle up for that. Hopefully it won't be as long as this guy. Uh, maybe we'll break it up into several, uh, but we're going to do God and physics in a future podcast. Otherwise, uh, thanks guys for hanging in there with me, for doing this thinking with me. Um, I hope it was interesting and uh, you know we can do some more of this stuff in the future. Love you guys.